What's cracking? I'm Jack Rowland, and thank you all for joining me for this week's episode of In Too Deep. Today, I'm joined by visual artist and mural powerhouse Lauren Y.S., also known as Squid Licker. Lauren's illustrative creatures and characters are a vibrant psychedelic treat for the eyes. Her works explore themes such as sci-fi and aliens, creatures of the deep sea, mythology, cultural identity, social justice, queer culture, and erotica. She exhibits and paints murals all around the world, and for those listening in Melbourne, she has a show coming up at Outre Gallery, which opens on October 8th. Please give a warm welcome to the incredible Lauren Y.S. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You don't apply. Bad luck. Well, I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 uh, because I'm in the middle of painting a mural and trying to finish work for a show and do background art for a music video and oh, geez. do interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. You, um, oh, no you seem like a very, a very busy artist. I mean, I guess that's a, that's a good problem to have, isn't it? You're in demand. Definitely. No, it's really, it's really good. It's also like, you know, we just came out of two years of being like, I don't know if there is going to be work anymore. So I'm really grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found that, um, in between our last like lockdown and then once everything was open, it's like the whole world was playing catch up. So you went from nothing to just like insane amount of busyness. Um, no chill, zero to no chill. Like, <laughs> totally, totally. But I like, I like being busy and I miss Australia cause I used to go like once or twice a year but obviously i can't now so i mean i think it's doing okay over there like covid wise oh we are the envy of the world right now um <laughs> we're just uh we're in like pretty much um sydney and melbourne two main cities are um all in lockdown so yeah we all kind of thought covid was over a few months ago and then it's just hit um you know hit with the old delta so yeah not a whole not a whole lot to um you know, you're not missing anything is what I'm trying to get to by not being in Australia. Nothing is going on here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I have, I have some really good friends out there and I miss them. Ah, well, we look forward <laughs> to having you again soon. But, you know, look, this will all be a, this will all just be a, a distant memory one day, won't it? One day. Yeah. <laughs> we hope. Um, so, obviously, I'm a massive, massive fan of your work. Yeah, every, every, everything you do is just, um, oh, it's just so trippy, so cool, so um, so unique. Like, every single one of your works is so uniquely you. Um, but, yeah, I actually wanted to, like, one other thing that I really uh, appreciate about you is, like, your your fashion. Your, like, your, the way you present yourself is so cool. It's, uh, I've never been much of a, a fashionable guy myself, but I'm appreciating it more and more as um as i get older but yeah like um i was kind of reading through some of your like your instagram posts recently and i don't know it seems like a lot of your f- kind of fashion choices are also very um considered with 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 meaning and stuff um i was going through like a post of like your hair as well kind of like this cool haircut that you've got with like tattoos coming through on your on your scalp it's so cool i love it there it is that's that's wicked can you um can you tell us a bit about your haircut yeah, sure. Um, thanks for asking. No one's ever asked really on a podcast about that before. But oh, um, last one. I think, 
Yeah, um, I used to not care about fashion either because I was like, I'm a dirty person and I'm always like in paint clothes or just trying to like not draw attention to myself. And, um, you know, I kind of went through a couple of years of just being really like ratty and feral. Um, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I think that as I've grown older, my art and my life and my selfhood have all sort of like melded together in a more intense way to where like I present like I live my art in a way there's like not too much separation between it more and more and so like the way I present is also a way of expressing myself um I love that and especially yeah it's it's like it's gotten more intense in past years but I think it's also like a huge part of the fact that like when you delve deeper into gender and sexuality and stuff like that the way you present and the way you like signal to other people affects the way you you pass and like code shift between different spaces and so I found that something that's like really important for me is to try to communicate who I am by how I look and like helping it's it's kind of hard to be in like pass between many different communities and communicate like talk about things like being non-binary um without having I think anyone who identifies as like as slightly different than what you like what the world perceives you as like has to grapple with whether you want to like change your appearance to present in a different way that communicates something without you having to talk about it. So like right. when I think about queer coding, like we're, I, I don't know, like people who are like heteronormative know about this, but like, you know, having parts of your head shaved is often like an element of queer coding so that like people, you know, so that like within the queer community, like you're, it like links a little bit more to your gaydar if you have like parts of your hair shaved off, but like, I sort of got into like this concept of like cultural queer coding um, and was like, if I want, like, how do I connect with my heritage in ways outside of just my art hmm. in like a lived in bodily way. Um, and I was doing a lot of research about China and found out about this thing that happened for like hundreds of years under the, I think the Manchu rule. So men, all men in Manchu China had to have this haircut, like without the bang, the back was just a circular piece and with the braid. And the braid was called the queue. And it was like, if you cut off your queue, they would cut your head off. Um, and it was like this way for the Chinese government to sort of oppress and like make the men homogenous. But it was like, it's such a sort of blood ridden haircut that it was like, I'm really interested in the way that this, like this, certain element of presentation is like deeply linked to my heritage and especially because I like changed my pronouns and was like looking for ways to engage more with like the male element of my identity. I was like, this is a really interesting specifically Chinese way to express maleness. Um, that's really unique. And so I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do that. Cause like, um, I think it, it's really interesting. It's like drastic and a really interesting way to like, to like reach back through history and try to connect with something that like it sort of like lives in the spirits of the of like the men of my my ethnicity um right right so yeah like <laughs> in that way it was like a it was like a one-two punch way for me to like both sort of like physically express my non-binariness as well as like express my explicitly chinese non-binariness um mm. yeah and then like tattoos are sort of i got them when i turned 30 and they're like i like i like mess i sort of warped these um, characters that mean double happiness in Chinese that are like very much 
specifically used for like sort of a, a wedding scenario and I was like sort of this like what you know marrying yourself kind of element um so yeah I think like you know bodily modification and like ornamentation is a, is a really important way of like moving through the world in a way that you want to express who you are that is a long answer but yeah, <laughs> totally totally yeah it's it's cool because um you know I've, I'm an artist too and I've been making uh work for you know since since university so well forever but I've kind of had my like I guess trademark psychedelic nature style for uh, since finishing university but yeah I mean as time goes on it's kind of like well that expresses one part of me and um, I'm even finding I, I guess like other projects like this podcast for sure will, will help express other other parts of my personality haven't quite cracked fashion yet I'm a pretty plain Jane kind of uh, dresser but um, maybe one day I actually feel like if I dress really you know, over the top, I kind of feel more self-conscious. So uh, I just stay in, in a safe place <laughs> unless I'm at a music festival. Then I, then I go all out. But, um, yeah, you're, yeah, um, well, it's not, oh, sorry. No, not everybody can do it. Yeah. One <laughs> um, day, one day. Not be noticed. And sometimes I just wear pajamas. So. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, so did you design those tattoos on your head? And like, was it, were they kind of designed in line with this, with this hairstyle? Cause like, again, like, uh, I love the kind of references of like, yeah, the signaling of non-binary, the traditional aspect, but it also looks so contemporary, so n like neo and new and um, yeah, very futuristic. I love that kind of mix. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I did, I did design them specifically for, for this haircut and my roommate Sarah is amazing when she did it. But yeah, I'm sort of always reaching for that. Like, how do I like make China futuristic and like sort of recontextualize what has what happened hundreds of years ago right i mean i haven't been to china but um my wife is japanese so i've been to japan quite a few times and you know uh, japan has got such uh, a great future meets past aesthetic particularly in tokyo and you know you just got these neon everything and then like just a shrine in the middle of the city it's um yeah it's 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 pretty pretty awesome um another like one of your tattoos i really like that one on the back of your neck that i was kind of seeing which is like an upside down um like chinese tower so cool yeah really thank cool <laughs> thanks appreciate that is that a, what, a um, your design yeah 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 it's also it was also executed by my roommate who's like amazing and just can do anything that i bring to her but um yeah it was also just sort of this element of like your your mind is a temple but it's not I don't like that that's like quite crunchy like granola crunchy for me and it's <laughs> sort of like I think inverting it wasn't as a way of talking about how like though you respect your mind as a temple it, it's often you have to respect the like transgressive element of it as well right, um, right. yeah it's sort of just like fits the space better and yeah, I went through like I went. I found a reference for a temple that was like explicitly in this in the town that my popo, my grandma grew up in, and yeah. So I think about tattoos a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan yeah, of tattoos. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so cool. so cool. Um, so also, where did um, I love like your Instagram handle name, Squid Liquor. Do you kind of go by Squid Liquor, or do you go by Lauren Y S? Like, what is that kind of your artist name, or just just purely your Instagram handle? <laughs> Um, I, I generally go by Lauren YS in like a gallery setting. Um, but if people call me that, I don't mind. Uh, I like to make things really confusing for people because I'm like, it's kind of anti-branding and people get annoyed because they're like, you just keep changing. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, 
like part of being non-binary is that you're like constantly like I don't know I find that sometimes like people are like really uncomfortable with change especially in the art world they're like you got to do one thing and just do that forever and I'm like no the whole point is that I change along with my identity and if you can't follow like that's okay but um yeah it sort of comes from the like original the sort of like paradigm of like like the hocus like the really og hocus i print dream of the fisherman's wife which is like the girl mm. fucking the octopus yep which is it's really like geeky and famous but people don't know that like the subversive element of it was like the japanese had to come up with ways like this is how tentacle porn came along it was like a revision of that but it was a way for the japanese to get around like american imperialism and and censorship by depicting like sexual contact with animals um I could get into this more, but yeah, that's sort of like where the original thing came from, as well as like a weird Apex Twin reference. Um, right, but right. yeah, it's a handle that nobody will forget. <laughs> you know, that's actually interesting because I think a lot of people are curious about where the fuck this tentacle porn thing came from. And and particularly that that, that piece of work you're talking about, the Hokusai one, that is like the the Japanese woman basically getting uh, getting serviced by a, by a giant squid, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> Getting serviced. Yeah. yeah, I just like it because it's really like it has a lot of really interesting political underpinnings mm. that talks about how censorship changes the way we view sex and art. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The history of of tentacle porn is actually really interesting culturally. Yeah. Right. But. <laughs> <laughs> Have you um have you ever kind of uh, you may have already done this but have you have you ever um got into like fashion design at all or that's a that's a really good question I was just thinking about that because I was like why what I just realized that I really do think about fashion all the time like you know when I'm thinking about what I want to paint often it has to do with like what the character is wearing hmm. um so I was like I should design some like shirts and like pants and jewelry and stuff but I've I've only really ever done jackets. Um, I'm designing a skateboard right now. and Nice. Yeah, I've done, like, T-shirts and stuff. But I like to do, like, I'd love to design chunsam, specifically, like, Chinese dresses. Right. I mean, I've kind of seen you wearing one that, like, this kind of aqua or teal kind of colored one. Is that, um again, it always looks so traditional slash, like, uh new um i was just wondering whether you had any input in like the design of any of that but um but not yet i would i would love to see what you come up with one day oh yeah i hope so that it's funny because that actually that specific outfit is from the Qing dynasty it's like really i shouldn't be able to own it like i got it from my friend peter Lai, who's an amazing chinese fashion designer he's like he just turned 70 but um yeah he li- it's like literally from the Qing dynasty and i was like i I shouldn't be allowed to wear this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. In, yeah. um, when I lived in Japan for a year and um, wow. they are literally like, I mean, you can go to kind of like, I guess, flea markets or, you know, thrift stores or whatever, and they're almost giving away kimonos. Like there are so many beautiful kimonos there that just have no home. Like um, Yuria's grandma gave us like a whole bunch and – and I was like, oh, can I wear this to a, a festival or is that like disrespectful? And it's like, well, 
it just sitting in a in a drawer gathering more and more holes from moths is more disrespectful from than actually getting a life out of it but yeah i've kind of rocked a few of them at our festivals but um i'm like hey it's got the tick of approval from uh from my wife and her grandma so i guess that's all you can really ask for (laughs) yeah i think kimonos are like very much within the like common like diaspora sort of like fashion i think Mm. the whole point is like if you're wearing the clothing of a culture that isn't yours if you're wearing it like in a costumey kind of way or like a mocking kind of way then it's problematic but if you are like you're literally married to someone who's japanese and um you're like using it as fashion it's like totally cool that's mm. awesome well they're just so beautiful I love them. they're just so yeah they're, um, so, they're so beautiful so unique and there's and there's a lot of them and um it is sad to see them on uh on clothing's racks for like a couple of dollars often it's it's quite um yeah <laughs> but, yeah <It's> so cute. <laughs> hey so when did um when did you i guess start kind of really developing your like your signature style i guess i mean it's kind of even hard to call it define what your style is because you know the content of your work varies uh, very drastically, I guess, you know, I guess there's like a lot of characters, um, a lot of kind of similar under underlining themes, but, um, you know, did you, did you study art? I know you studied literature, but, um, you know, when, when did, when did, um, when did the kind of, I guess, when did you really start refining and, um, honing in on your craft? Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think, I think I've always sort of drawn in this sort of like pulpy, almost comic influence style. Cause I did, I was making graphic novels in college. I studied, I double majored in English and art. Hmm. Um, so the idea was to make graphic novels or to like write scripts and have them made into animated films, which I still would love to do. Um, so I think my style really comes from like black and white drawings, like things that are meant to be animated characters that have like a narrative happening. Um, so I think that's where all that comes from. And then I sort of like, I think my, I was really like hectic with my style over the course of like the first three or four years that I painted just cause I was like trying a bunch of stuff and didn't really understand color and like would get way too influenced by like wherever I was. Um, which is normal I think, but I think, you know once you paint enough like you kind of zone into like what you really want to do and like how you paint when you're not looking at reference or how you paint when you're not painting for anyone else. Um, so I think it just happens kind of kind of naturally. And I, I would say that I only started getting comfortable with what my style was in the past couple of years. Right. Um, but you got to just try a bunch of different stuff. And like, I yeah, <laughs> I definitely painted a lot of crap. <laughs> yeah, same. It looks like you, you would be yeah. an obsessive drawer based on your kind of style. Are you constantly just drawing? Um, I wish that I could say that was always true it used to be it used to be before it became like so heavily my job right um, same and now it's weird that i kind of like yeah don't you like find yourself like like once you finish a job being like i don't feel like drawing in my yeah. free time and then being like oh no what's happened to me i don't draw um, at all anymore. but i realize at all no <laughs> it's pretty sad no. <laughs> i paint That's a lot so I, paint, I paint all the time but uh like digital collaging okay. really kind of took over like in terms of planning for me but, but um yeah i do miss that um i don't know this i think when you when you're constantly drawing there is this like 
natural creative juices that are always being ignited that's much more um i don't know maybe much more in tune with like your inner voice than maybe digital collaging for sure maybe i mean i think it's just different for everyone i've definitely thought lately that i should get into doing some like doing something that's just a bit different to to like get juices flowing like even if it's collaging or just doing like abstract painting or just color color fields like just to be like just get a different formal access point to to like creativity so if that works for you that's fucking cool i'd love to do that yeah when when you studied um literature um was that kind of what what kind of writing uh, were you attracted to Were, were you a creative writer or were you um much more just interested in the kind of um i don't know just like reading and consuming literature um uh, much more creative writing i right. like i i yeah i was on a creative writing track and i was actually on a poetry track for the first like two or three years of college cool. and then i switched to yeah I, I switched to fiction um i love poetry but i was like i i if i'm gonna like publish something it's gonna be like a book of short stories or like a novel rather than poetry um but yeah i was writing uh, plays i wrote plays for a while and then i think it, i'm really into like short story or like vignette centered narratives um but i haven't done any like long long form writing in a while and it makes me really sad i was wondering whether like because you kind of mentioned just before um you know incorporating narratives in your work whether the the kind of writing aspect just like naturally uh, morphed into your creative practice. Do you, was there much of a link there, or do you, do you see the two as separate? Um, that's a great question. I think they they definitely influence each other um, because I think I'm creating narratives for my characters when I'm painting. But it's like I think it's much more the other way around. Like if when I go to write, when I rarely do, my work is always like super visual, um, like I find myself expi- like describing colors and like shapes in ways that are much more influenced by my art. And I think that's probably because I actually paint and draw more than I write. But I actually, like I feel, I get more pleasure out of writing than making art. Really? Um, it's just like, harder. yeah, definitely. Like it, Like when I write a good paragraph, like it literally turns me on. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't do it that often because it's really hard. It's like so much harder than painting, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've never been much of a writer, but uh, with this podcast, I always I find intros the hardest thing to do. I'll spend half a day just because I'm just trying to basically write an artist statement for each artist, and it does not come naturally to me. It's like torture. I do, I do, I do not get turned on when I write at all. <laughs> <laughs> Only when it's good. Yeah, when it's, it's right. really hard to do. Totally. When it's bad, I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, like, narratives, I'd love if you could possibly um, – I picked, like, two of your kind of recent works that um, I was wondering if they look like they have a narrative in them. Um, so I just saw you yeah. recently – you've got this work, The Witch Doctor, which – did you recently have to, like, paint over that or something? Like, what was the story? That is such a cool oh, work, by the way. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really I'm really proud of that one. Yeah, you I'm should. I'm always sad when it's over, but that one's like. But yeah, it lived a good life at the Bishop Museum. It's still there, but they're closing it soon, so they they will be painting over it. But I think, um, I came up with the concept when I think when I was this is going to sound douchey, but when I was at 
Burning Man like five or six years ago. And I was like, I think I was just on a bunch of acid and this this little dragon song was playing. And the intro, it's, I think it's called Shuffle a Dream. And the intro is like the sound of like, I thought it sounded like some like crazy old witch doctor in like ancient China playing a broken bicycle as if it were like a xylophone. And I just had this like crazy visual about it. And then I was like this, this image of this sort of sage femme character who like, like sort of came into view. And it was like this mashup of the Sonora witch market in, in Mexico City that I go to a lot. And then, you know, sort of Chinatowns in Hawaii that I would go to like, where they have all the sort of apothecary stuff and like ginger and roots and huge mushrooms and like scary shit in jars where you're like, what is this? I don't understand what this is. Um, and I got really into that concept and like, was like, I really want to make a, this narrative painting where it's like this image of, of this like femme character that you find in the dark corner that just has all these things that you don't know if they're like good for you or bad for you. Um, but I just never had time to do it. And I was like, fuck, I'm never going to get to make that painting. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, oh, now's the time. Um, so yeah, and I ended up just like painting things that I travel, like picked up in travels because I was just stuck in my studio. So. Right, right. Um, Do you paint it twice? Because yeah. there's a coloured one and a and a um like a monochromatic one. So you you did one large mural and a smaller color, coloured painting. Well, the the painting is four feet circular, okay. so it's not that small. But um, right, yeah, four feet. Yeah, I actually big. made. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that in the pandemic, and then I actually like when I found out I was painting at the Fisher Museum, I was like, I should because no one had seen it. I was like, I should make this into a mural because um, I made the silk screen, the layered silk screen for it. And I was like, oh, I literally have a plan for this mural that I could just execute already. And it's really ambitious, but I think I can do it. So It's so cool. And it's I so had cool. a lot of help from my friends, Tina and Emily. I had to shout them out because they like worked really hard with me on it. Nice, nice. Um, I saw like also you have like these kind of maybe in your highlights or something. Sorry, a, a lot of Instagram stalking lately. Um, but yeah, you like you've gone to these places where there's just these animals in jars and like weird deep sea creatures and monkeys and body parts and stuff. Is, is Was that all part of the, the making of that piece or was that just, that's just a fun day out for you? So this is what I mean when I say like I live my art because it doesn't, I don't plan these things, but more and more oftentimes I'll weirdly find that like something I painted kind of comes into being. And so I found after I painted this mural, the director of powwow was like, did you know that they have like thousands of dead animals in jars at this actual museum where you painted? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, D you should take a tour and go see it. And I was like, oh my God, like all this stuff is actually here. And then I, um, I asked if I could do a residency there. And so we went back and I was like, I'm going to, go and like study all these specimens here and then find a way to talk about um, endemic species and endangered species in Hawaii through illustrating them. So yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's just this weird thing. Like sometimes you gotta be careful what you paint or draw because sometimes it comes true. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was so trippy. Like they were literally pulling these like sea creatures out of this goo. It looks so gross. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally cool. Um, so I mean, you you know, you've 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 kind of like established yourself as like 
uh, a world-class mule artist, well, world-class artist, of course, but like, uh, I guess, uh, I, I say world-class mural artist because you literally get flown around the world to, to produce murals. Um, what's, what's kind of, uh, what's the balance, I guess, between mural work and studio work for you? Do you have a preference? And, um, cause I, I cause I've started getting into the mural world in recent years and, yeah, the, I mean, it just scratches a different itch than studio work, don't you find? Like, you're, it's more social, you're outdoors. However, you've got the downside of, like, I don't know what it's like in America, but the reality of getting a, a piece here just, like, graffitied over very, very quickly is, is a real, is, is a, yeah, is a reality. Um, what, had, what, what's your balance between murals and studio work? a good question are are you in melbourne melbourne yep okay yeah melbourne's pretty savage um Mm -hmm. yeah i've definitely been in melbourne quite a bit and um definitely been capped a lot but it's it's sort of like par for the course like i respect graffiti too so i never like uh that's just how it goes sometimes but um i this is a question i've been asking myself a lot lately because i've been doing a ton more studio work than i've ever done before um i used to hate it I used to hate it, like sitting in a chair and painting with tiny brushes um, yeah. and mixing colors. But I think over the pandemic, I came to really like love the the quiet, like tedious, hard work that it takes. Um, and I realized that I feel really safe in my community and my and the people around me. Um, and oftentimes, that like the the mural world is quite like a. I love it, but it's a really heteronormative, really like sort of like cishet space and so I I like I really enjoyed sort of being in my own world a little bit um but when it comes down to it I will always take murals um because I like I love being outdoors I love being physical and like working with spray paint and working big so that's why I'm 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 in Sacramento right now but I'm doing like a mural tour of like four different cities in three weeks so that I can get my wiggles out before I go back to the studio (laughs) (laughs) is it get your wiggles out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you have it might any, be really stupid though. <laughs> do you have any murals in Melbourne? Um, I don't know what's there anymore. Right. Um, I I used to go to Colling like stay in Collingwood at least once a year. Yeah. Because um, I have some really good friends there. So I, I I think there's one in I think I have one or two in Collingwood proper. I think there's a bat weird scary bat wearing a kimono um that i did with my friend spencer and then i had another one that i know got capped so i'm not going to tell you where it is um but it should be near the one um near where sorry it should be the other near the other bat one but it's all in the same area like near um god i don't even remember the streets anymore like yeah i mean why would you (laughs) you paint all over the world there a lot (laughs) <laughs> I love Melbourne. I really do. I really do. Um, and I have like, I think I might have a piece in Benalla still, but Benalla is That's right. Yep. 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 I saw that um, one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't know anymore. You're right. Like things, things do go real fast in, in Collingwood. Yeah. Particularly Collingwood. That's like the hot spot. Collingwood and Fitzroy. Probably more Collingwood actually. It's just, that's where it all goes down. Um, probably the best murals we've seen in Melbourne would be there. But, um, yeah. but yeah, did you have, um, did you ever have any kind of graffiti roots or anything or, or interests or was that, um, 
purely straight into the murals for you? No, um, I actually, like, I, I started painting graffiti and murals at the same time. Sick. And, you know, when I say graffiti, like, I, I mean painting legally. Like, I went, um, my friend Nigel took me out to Vienna and we, like, painted track sides and stuff, but I always painted characters. Um, yep. I've painted letters a few times. I'm not fucking good at it, I will be honest, but I really, I respect graffiti. Um, I think you have to if you're if you're an artist to use spray paint. Um, so. Yeah, well, there probably wouldn't be a mural scene without the graffiti scene. Well, there wouldn't be a mural scene without the graffiti scene. So, there, yeah, it really, it does have to be... Um, respected despite of you know the frustrations of getting your work yeah capped every now and then it's just i guess that's that's kind of what you get if you want to make outdoor work you know public art it's it's going to get fucked with totally and like sometimes i have a handful of pieces that have like burners like burners and pieces all along the bottom and i'm like it looks cooler than it did before like Mm. sometimes it's like you got to respect that it's their city you know yeah yeah totally um what so what like what are um what are kind of like some of the well actually I know what a lot of like the kind of underlining themes but like um that you work with um one one I was I was kind of wanting to ask you about so yeah we've kind of like talked about you know kind of connecting with your cultural heritage and stuff um and I've seen that a lot through your work but um there was one mural that you did I guess I guess it was last year um that had a you know I think it was in Chinatown it had a massive um, stop Asian hate crimes and then protect our elders, which are, yeah, direct kind of response to, I guess, Donald Trump's kind of throwing, um, well, not, not specific to society, but, um, you know, throwing, f- uh, fuel on the flames, uh, of, you know, all this crap of like the China virus and the Kung flu and all these, like, it's just incredible to hear that coming out of a world leader, uh, you know, the leader of the, fr- of the Western world. Um, you know, I was wondering kind of what it was like as an Asian American uh, making work for social change a lot. Um, was that was the whole kind of attitude towards Asian Americans around the time when the pandemic started? Did did it really shift for you, or was this more of a kind of broader response to kind of how things are going in in your broad, broader community? Uh, I think it's it's really hard to quantify, um, you know, and even like I think an element of what we were all grappling grappling with as Asian Americans was like, are we being gaslit? Like, is it is this real? Like, and that's why it stayed under the rug so much because people like people were like, no, there's no way that people like everyone everyone thinks Asians are just like up like upwardly mobile and like no one would ever discriminate against us, but. And as a person who is also half white, like I, I have to say that I don't know what it's like to be fully, fully Asian American um, or, or the pitfalls that come with that. But I had like a, you know, a Chinese American friend who's an amazing muralist, like she lives in Texas and she like, she warned me at the beginning of the pandemic. She was like, I know you need to be careful about xenophobia. Like I had someone yelling slurs at me and I was like, that's crazy. That's insane. And then all this stuff started ramping up and ramping up. And I was like, oh, this is real. But I've always lived in like pretty densely Asian American areas um, and like lucky to live in LA where I, I haven't personally experienced much xenophobia, but I'm also white passing sometimes to a lot of people depending on who says anything. And, um, but it like, I was very aware of these things happening around me and wanting to make sure that like I did 
my job as someone with a platform to defend the people that I that are part of my community, especially because I've been so active with like Black Lives Matter, and it was like um, I was like, whoa, this is really close to home, and it's really hard to see videos of people like punching someone who could be your mom. Yeah, um, and like you know, some of my friends are elders; they're like seventy years old. So, um, yeah, it was like I I just have to do something, and it felt really like. I was like, this is like nothing, like just painting a mural is like the least that I could do, but I need to do it. Um, but it, it really like, what I didn't realize like behind the scenes is that it really brought me together with my community more. Like I made a ton of friends who just like were like sad and looking for like community at the time. And it, it really shifted everything in my life. Um, and I hope that, you know, my AAPI family had had a similar experience and like continued to have that going on. And like now my work is just like, I'm in Sacramento making a piece about how the transcontinental railroad started in Sacramento and was completely built by Asian American or Chinese immigrants specifically. And like doing all this research and being like, Oh, like California, America was built by Chinese people. Like mm. we wouldn't have been able to access the East coast from the West coast if Chinese people specifically didn't do backbreaking labor to get us from one place to the other. So, um, I've learned a lot is what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, I, I love, um, I love the kind of uh, any opportunity your art practice can, um, yeah, allow the artists to have a deeper understanding of what they're, what they're trying to explore, whether it's, you know, spirituality or social issues or anything, actually, uh, being able to, um, get that, that research and applying it directly, uh, creative, creatively is, um, is a really great, great thing. I think I need to, uh, do a bit more of that actually, but, um, but yeah, how, how was the mural received? It looked like there was a massive festival for it or something like a big celebration. Oh yeah, it was great, like crazy. Um, I decided to do like our own little mural unveiling so that I could like sell the posters and like try to raise some money so we could donate it. You know, I was like, like, how do I, I'm always like, how do I monetize? How do I make this have more impact than just a piece of art floating in the ether? And so I've been raising a lot of money also. Um, but after we had our own little event, the like, the, Center for Restorative Justice in LA, which they're super cool. They protect murals, cultural mur murals from being whitewashed in Chinatown area. And they reached out and were like, we want to do a mural blessing with an elder um, and have a lion dance, which like blew me away because I like, I love lion dances. I wanted to get one for my show, but I, I couldn't get it. And so when they offered it, um, I was like blown away. Cause I remember going to them for Chinese New Year all the time and to like have have them set one up for this piece, which didn't belong to me anymore. Like there were like a lot of elders and community members and people who live in Chinatown. And it was just like really heartwarming and uh, kind of made me believe in muralism again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's something, um, there is something powerful about like a big, a big mural. I mean, I, I see it a lot of when people will, <clears throat> we've got a lot of portrait muralists in Melbourne and you kind of forget that it's like, it's a bit of a secret power. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you paint, a, uh, I don't know, for instance, a portrait of, of someone, like most people can't comprehend that there's been a hand painted picture of themselves. Uh, I don't want to say like immortalized cause it'll fade and it'll be go over, go over at some point, but you know, it, it feels like it's been immortalized and it, it does put a huge amount of importance on an issue or a person or, a, or something. And, um, and yeah, I think that's kind of what I really, really love about have 
grown to love about murals is it is much more for the people in a way <laughs> than than kind of studio art. I mean, everyone loves your uh, you know studio art, and I, I can get my stuff much much more refined in a studio. But yeah, you know, like I said before, it scratches a different itch. There's um there's a direct response and a direct feedback from your community when you make a mural and I, and I guess probably even more when it's a meaningful mural. Yeah, to- totally. And it's, it's like really beautiful to see people take ownership over something, you know, that you made. Um, Cause in the end, it, like most of the time they, they see it much more than you ever will. So they hopefully like they, they feel connected to it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think like, so, you know, you know, a lot of your work has been, about social change not all of it but a lot but a lot of it um and i I was wondering do do you think that there's i mean there's there seems like there's been at least in the last five probably more you know they a lot of progress has been made it took way it took far too long um in the first place but a lot of progress has been made obviously like gay marriage and stuff we we had a pretty similar kind of like woefully long time to make that legal in Australia as well. Um, do, do you think that, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at, do you, do you think that um, a lot of these kind of social movements that you've shown support for, Black Lives Matter, um, even things like Me Too and and uh, a lot of these, like uh, you've done murals for kind of propping up and showing a lot of support for, for kind of queer and LGBTQI community and stuff. I was wondering, do you think that there's any relationship between the acceleration of these progressive issues and the the political climate of having an absolute like bigot in in the white house um i i hope so Mm. um i hope so yeah i mean we just kept telling ourselves like the the upside of having this in like this joke of a situation is that everyone like because everyone was really like sort of nonchalant during Obama's presidency because we were like, oh, we're like liberal now. We have a protector. He's like, we're safe. We don't have to think or fight necessarily, which wasn't true. Um, Hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like this, we're like literally under a fascist rule. Um, And so everyone started, I was never very political in my like early twenties. I was much more of like a fantasist and was like, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm okay. Like, and then all of a sudden I became really political. I was like, literally I can see people, I have friends who got killed by police. Like um, I have seen this in my backyard and like no, the government's not gonna protect us. And it, it suddenly became very clear, I think to a lot of people who like got to be like really nonchalant before. And so I think anyone who had a sort of platform, everyone was just like, how do I, where's my power? Do I have any power to do anything? Maybe I should start thinking for myself. Maybe I should be more cynical or like, interrogative um so that was the good side i mean i I changed a lot over the course of that presidency like i also had the mental breakdown um but you know i do think i think there is a lot of good that came out of something really really messed up and i hope it continues Mm. yeah i mean yeah it all it pretty much always does take i'm the same i've been very Unpolitical. I mean, I'm much more like interested in American politics than Australian politics, which is a which is a terrible thing to admit. I mean, I don't I don't know that much about our own backyard, but um, yeah, it often takes really bad politics for people to get active. You know, if it's, I think maybe that's actually a, a strategy for 
a lot of um, other politicians just make it as dry and boring as possible and you can probably actually get a lot more um, through if, if because everyone's switched off. But, um, yeah, if you're going to get a divisive character, it's every, everyone's all of a sudden extremely glued to, um, you know, everything that's going through. I, I imagine it's, it's like that in America. Every talk show is now about politics. Every, everything is about politics. That's so true. I, it's nice to hear you say that because I, like, I was like, maybe I just finally woke up, but maybe I think we are much more politicized than, than we were before. And I will say, in Australia's defense, like, obviously one of the big things is gun control here. And like, I, I wish people in America would look at Australia and be like, by the way, the last time you, y'all had a mass shooting in like the eighties or something and then banned guns and you haven't had one since. Like, I don't know if that's evidence enough for America, but, um, it is for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, I think the Australia comparison is like a really, really common talking point for that. Um, you know, the whole gun debate. Um, I mean, New Zealand just had a massive massacre a few years ago which was fucked. This, like, white nationalist guy stormed a mosque and just um, GoPro on his head, live-streamed it to Facebook. Um, they they get, uh, sorry, they banned all... I, I, I don't know what they actually banned. Definitely, like, assault rifles or automatic um, weapons, but there was a big gun ban after that. Um, you know, it, it, it's a tricky one, like, the whole gun thing. Like, I mean, I'm not pro-gun. Um, they're... But... You know, America is fully armed, you know. America is armed to the teeth. It's it's a bit different and it's a very populated country. So I don't I don't think they'll ever I don't think that'll ever um become not a thing. I really don't. I just I I'm I'm might agree with you. I just think that there need, there just need to be like more stringent laws about how to access weapons. Like I used to be really yeah. I mean, I am like I hate guns, but I, my, my girlfriend actually wanted to like go learn how to shoot. And I was like, I'm going to go with you. I don't know if I'm going to shoot. I'm scared of guns. And then we got there and her mindset was like, if I know how to be around guns or if I like more comfortable with them, I won't be as afraid of them. If I'm at a protest and someone's like pulling a gun. Hmm. Um, and she was right. Like I, I, I didn't want to do it, but I picked it up and I was like, number one, I'm good at this because I have good hand-eye coordination, which I didn't expect. And number two, I do feel less afraid around them. However, it was so easy to get. I didn't. I forgot my ID, and yeah. the guy was like, "You just have a picture of it," and I was like, "Yeah, but that that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. insane." And I was like, "This is this is messed. I would never want to have a gun in my house because it's also like, it's just too dangerous to have. It. What if you get like drunk and you just like pull it out and play with it? Like I, you know, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, yeah totally. To push more strings. I mean, I'm a bit like you. Like, I've I have fired guns, and I'll admit they're they're fun as fuck. Like, they are fun. You, <laughs> they're really fun. However, yeah. like, you know, I can kind of see a bit past that initial like knee jerk reaction and see. Well, you know, I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy. Just just school shootings alone. I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 crazy how I guess what what the collective will settle for is is the most um bizarre thing and you know i don't really think i don't know i mean it, it's a very uniquely like american problem but i don't see it as like americans are different like i'm sure if we had a very like a similar way uh in australia where uh everyone felt the the need to have a gun um because i think probably probably i'm actually talking out of my depth here but when, when they banned guns i 
I don't think your average person was armed in Australia because I don't right. think people felt the need to. But in America, like, there probably is a more of a need in the back of most people's heads um, just yeah. because of, yeah, so I don't know. It's a tricky one. And, look, I'm, I'm in no position to... <laughs> to cast any judgment or opinion. I mean, I've got my opinions, but yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, Absolutely. Hey, like, uh, some like lighter themes that you kind of deal with, um, <laughs> in your work, like, you know, your work is so psychedelic. Um, I love all your sci-fi and alien references. Um, you yeah. know, a lot of like erotica and even, um, a lot of deep sea uh, kind of creatures and stuff. I was wondering, I just wanted to like give you a little, uh, have you heard of, um, I went down a rabbit hole recently um, just looking at creatures of the deep. And have you ever heard of siphonophores? Um, are they like, are they like tardigrades and rotifers kind of? No. So they're like these, they kind of look a bit like, they're pro- the reason I'm bringing it up is I think, I think I've found the most psychedelic creature that exists in the entire world. Um, and there was one I would highly recommend you just checking out this like video on YouTube of this like deep sea siphonophore that they found off the, yeah. off the coast of Japan. So basically like siphonophores, wow. they kind of look like jellyfish, but they're a colony species. So it's one kind of body made up of like hundreds of different organisms and like some organisms, what? some organisms can't eat, but they can swim. And then the other organism can only eat and they like transfer the nutrients throughout the entire colony organisms. But anyway, um, as like a lover and a illustrator of psychedelia and deep sea creatures, I thought uh, you should check out siphonophores, particularly the deep sea one off Japan because it fucking blew my mind. I think you'd like it. Oh, <laughs> uh, from what little I can see right now, I'm going to be so into this. I I, fuck, I love deep sea things that are transparent and like yeah. logic. And yep. yeah, this is a thank you. I very much appreciate that. I mean, it's a pretty complex thing. I don't know how you'd like actually draw it, but just in terms of like blowing your mind on some kind of deep sea craziness, like that one really got me. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fall asleep to that later. Yeah, totally. Also, um, so like, uh, yeah, uh, you've done a, a re- like a few, some of like your drawings um, and paintings have got like a lot of alien references in them. I saw one that was like, uh, there's a lot of kind of like erotic, eroticism mixed with aliens. And I was wondering, would you ever have sex with an alien? And if so, what type of alien could you see yourself <gasps> getting down with? Um, yeah, that's a great, (laughs) like the answer is definitely, I, like, I literally had an art show that was sort of about that, um, which was sort of like a loose and tongue in cheek reference to sort of like, it was called Xenophilia. Um, Oh, I haven't seen this one. It's, it was a show I had with Spoke Art a few years ago, but it's literally like, it's literally about, I think Xenophilia literally means having a thing for aliens. Um, but, um. Yeah, so that's where all those drawings came from, and it's sort of, like, also a sort of interesting, like, subversive, like, sort of way of talking about, um, you know, the other, and, like, having interest in, like, you know, queer and, and BIPOC bodies and bodies that are, like, monstrous and non-binary and um, not, not, like, one whole thing. Um, but I, um, 
I guess I will say, like, I currently have a show coming up in um, in Melbourne at Uchiha Gallery. Cool. With a few other artists, and one of them being uh, Makoto Chi, who's a really amazing mixed Japanese artist. Um, and we did a collaborative piece that's sort of like a sort of 69 situation between a sort of like praying mantis-like character and a sort of femme fairy character. And so I, while making that, I thought a lot about like praying mantis alien sex. So that's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> which which yeah. did, you, did you do a character each or? Yeah, yeah. They, um, he did the character that's like a sort of mantis one and I did the sort of like more humanoid one. Right. Um, yeah, and it's like most people are probably not thinking about like how cool it would be to have sex with like a spiky insect, but I think about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, you you said before like Burning Man, taking acid and stuff. Like you definitely seem like you're no stranger to psychedelics and stuff. Like, have you? Is it just me, or like have you ever had any deep visions involving praying mantises? Because I have. Oh, um, I haven't. I don't think I have. And I also like, I know it seems like I do a lot of psychedelics. I used to in college and after, but I haven't right. done them in probably three years. Yeah. Actually just for sort of like mental health. Yeah. Reasons. Um, but I, I've heard that the mantis definitely symbolizes, I think like the ancestors and calmness and being in a space where you can having a mental space to like make decisions and advise decisions for other people. So if you had that, um, that that's a good sign. Really? Was it, how was it? Was it <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's definitely like a DMT vision for sure, but it's like, yeah, it's like this kind of centered, sorry, I don't know. I don't know whether describing trips is interesting or if it's a bit like describing yeah. your, your dreams where it's just like, cool, man. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> It's arms stretch out, and in between each arm, there's like these nets and webs, kind of Alex Gray esque. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a common one for me. I don't know. <laughs> where, where did you hear that um, kind of interpretation? Um, I actually did a mural submission recently that involved. Um, I I incorporated a praying mantis, and so I was researching what they symbolize in Asian culture specifically. Um, and they always have a sort of like de- deity esque thing because they they're so like they literally like look like they're praying. So there's always mm. this element. People think they're godly. Um, so, and like my roommate raised praying mantises for a while. So we had really? like 13, 14. So I think it's really cool that you have a recurring vision that that's like, that definitely means something. Yeah. Okay. I got a few, I got a few, but praying mantises are definitely my favorite insects regardless. I love them. They're so cool. They're so cool. So cool. Yeah. They're so cool. Um, so you recently had like a pretty big um, solo show, right? Eidolon Eid- yeah. Vessel. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Eidolon. Yeah. Eidolon, sorry. Yeah. Um, what, what can you, um, how, how did that go? And, and what can you kind of tell me about like the, the themes that you kind of um, were working with through that, that exhibition? It looks very ambitious. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, it was. Really, it was a big undertaking. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was San Francisco at Heron Arts. It went really well. I'm really happy about that. Um, right. But it was sort of, it like, I ideated it sort of after my, my grandmother passed. It was like my last living grandparent. And also um, I had the sort of like reckoning to deal with being third, second generation American and being like, I no longer have a link, like a true living, lived in link to China anymore. 
Um, and what does it mean to be Chinese if I can't speak to my grandmother who came from China or no longer can ask her about what it was like to grow up there? Um, and then how do I connect with her or my Gungo, my grandpa or my ancestors anymore? And it wasn't like this fun, like sort of spiritual thing anymore. It was like a real need. It was like, I really need to be able to connect with these people. And then I was like, well, Chinese people have been doing that for centuries. Um, maybe I can do it even though I wasn't raised to have like an ancestral altar in my home. Um, I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, like I wasn't really raised to do it culturally, but I'm going to do it my own way. So I'm going to design, like, I'm going to work through my feelings about all these deaths through my work by like, by, by, you know, illustrating stories that my people told about growing up in China. Um, and like researching Chinese goddesses and gods and like connecting with my heritage through the time and labor it takes to make paintings. Um, and then this sculpture was designed uh, like as sort of an ancestral altar that you would like rotate. Um, and like, you know, I stole, I picked textiles out of ceramic figures that were in my Popo's house. So it was just like all this way, these ways of trying to like connect with things that I felt like were lost because I think so much, you know, we, we miss people, but what we also really miss is time. And once they're gone, the only way to like stay connected with them is like giving them time in some, in some way. Hmm. And I think you lose people really fast if you don't spend time thinking about them. And so like having to like make tiny, really detailed paintings about them, like made me feel like I was spending time with my, with my family. And it, this all was started before, you know, the like stop Asian hate movement, quote unquote. So it was all just really like sort of timely and went together and then um yeah everything just sort of like came came together in, in like a very cool but also unfortunate way um but yeah eidolon means ghost right um, right yeah yeah i've had a few conversations with uh people on this um podcast where i can't remember that she had a term for it but it was this kind of term of like essentially having your second death like one is your physical death where you leave your body and the second is like the last time your your name is ever uttered or you're ever thought about that is like your second death there's actually a word for it but it's a really interesting concept and i can imagine that art would actually be a wonderful way of uh extending that that um or prolonging that second death whatever it's called um well that's super heavy yeah, yeah, I know. I've never really thought about it until a couple of these conversations, but yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, that's kind of, and yeah, that was a one of the things that we were talking about is um, this longing for almost immortality, and not maybe not necessarily like your physical immortality, but at least, at least the legend of your name or or the essence of your spirit is never quite forgotten, and uh, yeah, so yeah, in, interesting, um, fun kind of ideas um playing with these uh these like huge sculptures by the way like is, is this a new a new thing for you um playing with sculpture because they're huge that rotating one's so cool that giant head like how are you making these like do you have to make them in the city that you're in um yeah so i made them in conjunction with my manager um and like collaborator louis who is like a really ingenious fabricator type jack of all trades and I was like I was like I have this idea for like layered rotating wood images like two of my paintings like rotating so they can interact and you could see them through each other in a way that like 
as, as if to tell stories that are not quite one thing or not quite the other. Um, and I was like, I have no idea how to do it. And so we sat down and he was like, I think I have an idea and like came up with this whole contraption to like literally make it. And then he is really good with production levels. So he's like, if, you know, if I tried to make it, it would probably be really like scrappy and not clean. Um, but he like built out the whole frame and everything. And we like would pass it back and forth and I would paint something and then he would put it in. And um, like the first time we actually pulled it together, like I almost cried. It was like so cool. Which is, <laughs> it's so cool. That it worked. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's new, but we're definitely going to like keep keep working on it and expanding on it. What do you do with it once you once you leave? Did it sell? Like, I mean, not like that's everything, but you know, what do you do with it once you? Because you're exhibiting all over the world, or, or at least all over America at the moment. Um, you know, when you do these hugely ambitious projects in a city that you don't live in, like, what do you do when you pack up and go? Um, so, I mean, luckily, I think like ninety percent of the show sold, which is congrats, great. congrats, um, it's great. Thank you. I'm very proud. I've never done that well before, so I'm very proud um, and really grateful. Um, so luckily I don't have to look at those paintings anymore. Um, and then one of the sculptures sold. So there's three. Um, so one of them sold, which we didn't expect at all. Um, so that's, I think, going to Germany. And then we're going to take the, the full installation to Art Basel for um, Scope, I believe, with um, Mira's Gallery. So cool. people it again um so hopefully like i would love to have it go to some kind of asian american museum or somewhere where people could just interact with it again yeah wonderful are you represented by a gallery or are you just kind of like friendly with galleries and kind of i guess signed for an exhibition or, or do you actually have like you know kind of long-term representation um i don't i never have hmm. um i'm not totally sure that i agree with gallery representation unless I have friends who have it and it it's you know it's great when it's with a gallery who's like really working and can very much like guarantee a certain um percentage of sales but I think it's less necessary for artists who paint murals I think because I if I was depending solely on gallery sales I think I would you know maybe want to seek more more guidance for that but I I paint murals so like I can sustain myself with like a lot of different kind of work um, but I also just haven't worked closely enough with the gallery to like think that that might be a a good idea yet. Right. So, but I'm open to it. Yeah. 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 Um, I know um, you're like painting a big mural at the moment that you kind of mentioned, but so you've just finished this massive show. It looks pretty big, by the way. That that other that work, I think it was called Lissy from Sa Sao Lan. Sorry, I just butchered that. Mm -hmm. Lissy from Sao Lan. Is that right? Okay. That is so cool. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, that is another work that looks like it just has a, a rich narrative open to interpretation as well. Um, but it, yeah, um, are yeah. you, are you, what are you kind of wor working towards at the moment or are you just kind of chipping away at different mural projects? Um, that's a great question. I, I'm on a four, four city mural tour right now. Also mm -hmm. being, I'm in Sacramento, going to DC, then Santa Cruz and then Kansas city. Um, so I think, all the pieces will have some kind of social justice underpinning, um, different different topics. Um, and then, yeah, the current one is about the Transcontinental Railroad and, and like the Chinese presence in the West. Um, and then I'm also like literally working on drawings for a show in Melbourne at the moment um, yeah. so that I can get them out. So that's going to, I think that show 
sorry, that show, I will be posting about it, but that show is coming up soon at Uche Gallery um, with a lot, with a handful of really amazing artists, including Makoto. Um, so that's opening soon. And all the pieces are based off of like Chinese, Chinese, my visions of my versions of Chinese, like gods and goddesses. Um, and then I have a show in Berlin in December. Cool. With amazing artists as well. Yeah. Um, Man, how do you do it? We'll You're so busy. How do you do it? <laughs> I don't feel good right now. <laughs> <laughs> you must be exhausted. <laughs> yeah. But staying sober is important. <laughs> staying what? Staying sober? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I'll say. Yeah. It's really, sometimes you don't want to, but it's really helpful if you want to get a lot of shit done. <laughs> yeah, I've found that it's been a, a common like, when you're really busy, you almost have to make a decision. Okay, do I want to party or do I want to get shit done? Like it's you can't have it both ways. Particularly as, also with exercise. Do I want to be fit or do I want to like? <laughs> I just can't coexist with both of those things. <laughs> totally, it's hard. It's yeah, hard. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, well, I'll let you go. Like I'm sure you're exhausted. Um, and I really, really appreciate talking to you, Lauren. Um, been a big fan for many years. I know there's a lot of a lot of them, a lot of fans in Australia of your work. Um, I really hope you can get back down to Australia. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to have a beer with you um, when all this is over. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Me too. Oh yeah, I'm doing the music video for Hiatus Coyotes. Um, I saw you did the cover for that. Me. Nice yeah, work. That's we're, great. We're, music video right now so that that's also so that'll come out soon and i'm so proud of hiatus and so proud of nay and, and the boys so um so yeah, you, you're I'm collaborating really with an uh, an animator or yeah yeah sweet oh that must be yeah, so cool to see your work like come to life it's so cool it's also so insanely like difficult um I'm, i didn't know how hard it would be but lester in sydney you're the dude i'm very yeah grateful to be working with someone so talented awesome Far out. Well, you rule. You're awesome. Love your stuff. Don't slow down. Even if that exhausts you, sorry. You just have to do that for the greater good because everyone loves your stuff. Um, (laughs) Thanks so much for taking the time, Lauren. Of course. Thanks. That was great. Great question. Oh, nice one. Cool. Oh, and how do people kind of, uh, what's the best way for people to see your stuff? How do people buy your stuff? Oh, um, great question. I have a link tree in my Instagram that should have links to like different prints and then, um, you know, my gallery shows and stuff. It's a little bit decentralized right now, which is annoying, but I, I, I post about everything that I'm doing. So hopefully it's easy to find. <laughs> nice one. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Yep. Take care.